coming up this evening, live from New York City. Good news for home buyers. Mortgage rates dropping below 5%. It's the first time since April. Walmart is laying off corporate employees after slashing its profit outlook just last week. A state is investigating ESG ratings for the first time ever. Missouri's attorney general believes financial services firm Morningstar may have violated state law. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. A bit of good news for people looking to buy a new home. Mortgage rates have dropped for the second week in a row. According to Freddie Mac, the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage averaged 4.99% last week. It's the first time since April that the rate has been less than 5%. But it's still a lot higher than the same time last year, when it was just 2.77%. The start of the year was when rates began to spike. They hit a high of 5.81% in mid-June. Since then, economic concerns have made them more volatile. Walmart confirms it's laying off corporate employees. It didn't clarify how many. The Wall Street Journal says it's in the hundreds, but that's according to anonymous sources. Because Walmart's so big, it can be viewed to get a bigger picture of the overall economy. It's the biggest employer in America and the world's largest company by revenue. Walmart says it's still hiring in some parts of its business and that it needs to restructure to align with a changing environment. Just over a week ago, Walmart cut down its profit projections. For the first time ever, a state is investigating an ESG ratings product. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt is looking into financial services firm Morningstar. He believes its ESG ratings may have violated state law. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt is investigating financial services firm Morningstar. Morningstar's ESG ratings may have violated Missouri law. This is the first time a state is investigating ESG ratings products. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. The ratings determine how much a company achieves in its social goals, which some associate with the political left. Shareholders should be concerned because a lot of these agenda items, number one, may not uh, align with what your your political viewpoints are. Paul Chesser is a director at the National Legal and Policy Center, a Disney shareholder. Chesser says ESG thinking has been broadly embraced throughout corporate America. Most shareholders have no control over where, where they invest funds that, you know, because they're part of a larger pool of funds. Chesser says that when companies focus on ESG, it may result in lower profits for these shareholders. Attorney General Eric Schmidt's office says Morningstar may have violated the Missouri Merchandising Practices Act by omitting or misrepresenting facts. His investigation has two parts, one related to ESG and one regarding whether Morningstar is biased against Israel. ESG ratings from Morningstar are uh, have such a, you know, such significant potential effects. William Hild is the executive director of 
consumers' research. Hild says Morningstar rates stocks and bonds across a number of different areas. Some of their ratings are used by you know, U.S. regulators uh, when they make decisions. Uh, so they are almost quasi-governmental. Eric Schmidt's office says Morningstar may have overemphasized risk levels for companies doing business in Israel. He's seeking documents relating to BDS, a movement to boycott, divest from, and sanction Israel over alleged oppression of Palestinians. The companies set up metrics that they can pretend to apply neutrally, but the, the very evaluative points themselves discriminate against, in this case, Israel. Scott Shepard is the director of the Free Enterprise Project at the National Center for Public Policy Research. He says the organization has discovered that Morningstar has a special category for any companies that do business in disputed or occupied territories. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. The state of Tennessee has sued Walgreens. as accusing the pharmacy giant of fueling the state's opioid epidemic by flooding the market with prescription narcotics. The lawsuit says Walgreens used its market position to dispense over 1.1 billion oxycodone and hydrocodone pills within Tennessee from 2006 to 2020. That's roughly 175 tablets for every resident of the state. Tennessee has been one of the hardest hit states in the opioid crisis. It has documented at least three opioid-related overdose deaths every day, according to the lawsuit. Walgreens has been the target of similar lawsuits in other jurisdictions. In a statement, its parent company said it'll continue to defend itself against unjustified attacks on the professionalism of its pharmacists. A new report says U.S. manufacturers' share in the domestic market has fallen to the lowest point in nearly two decades. This, according to the Coalition for Prosperous America, a trade group and advocacy organization. Take the apparel sector as an example. We import 95 percent and only make 5 percent domestically. For computer and electronics, we only make 19 percent. The coalition says more needs to be done to bring back American manufacturing. Entities Don Ma talks with the organization. Nick, thanks for joining us today. So your organization found that U.S. manufacturers' share in the domestic market here in the U.S. fell to the lowest level since 2005. Now, can you just tell us what is this index? Absolutely. So this, uh, this domestic market share index is a new index that our economics team came up with because they wanted to track the data of how our American manufacturers were performing in the domestic market, which we know is the most important market, that home market. You know, definitely in the last two decades or so, we've seen a lot of offshoring of production, a lot of offshoring of jobs. We know that that's been happening, but there hasn't really been a statistic to track just how much of our manufacturers' share of that domestic market has, has dwindled. And now we know that you know it, it's at a record low. Unfortunately, the trend is it's continuing uh, to decline. But this is an important indicator to show how are our American manufacturers performing against their foreign competition. Now, let's talk about that trend. Looking at it, in which sectors are we actually importing more and losing market share? So it, it's, it's all across a number of sectors. A uh, few important ones to highlight uh, that are notable. Uh, the share of chemical, computer, and machinery industries. Uh, it extends to other industries like pharmaceuticals, for instance. 
the U.S. is heavily dependent on imports of generic medications. If you uh, take a prescription drug that's a generic, it's more than likely coming from a foreign manufacturer. And our domestic producers have lost share to their foreign competitors. Uh, oftentimes, there's many reasons why that's the case. Uh, in particular, when you look at China, you'll see that they take economic, uh, what I call economic warfare against our domestic manufacturers. They'll drive the price down because they're subsidized by the Chinese government. You know, they're able to take a loss quarter to quarter. And once they uh, get the domestic manufacturers out of the market, uh, they've driven them out, they've monopolized that product, they increase the price exponentially. Uh, in some cases, in generics, for instance, 2,000%. I see. Make some good points. But let's move on to another topic, <clears throat> uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. So the part about the 15% book minimum tax, many think this tax will actually undermine growth. But your organization has a different take on it, right? Can you tell us why this would not undermine growth? The opponents of the corporate alternative minimum tax, or the book minimum tax, as you call it, they're defending multinational corporations that have offshored jobs, production, investment, and labor for decades. The goal for these corporations is to pay as low a rate as possible as they can in taxes. And when you look at what's happening in competition between a multinational that has offshore manufacturing, for instance, and you have a domestic manufacturer, the tax rate between those two entities is severely, in most times, it's double. So this 15% alternative minimum tax, the only companies that are going to face this tax are the ones that have offshore production. You have to have a billion dollars in profit over three years uh, on average. And when you look at the companies that are facing this tax, they pay 8 9% right now. So this is an anti-offshoring tax. If we're going to try to boost domestic manufacturing, our tax code needs to incentivize production at home. And currently, it's weighted towards companies that are offshoring production, offshoring jobs, and they're offshoring profits to tax havens. It's created a very unlevel playing field and it's putting American manufacturers at a severe disadvantage. All right. Thanks for your insight. Nick Acavella with the Coalition for a Prosperous America. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has left Taiwan, but China's retaliation is just getting started. It deployed scores of planes and fired live missiles near Taiwan today. These were its biggest military drills in the Taiwan Strait yet. China's military fired multiple conventional missiles in waters off Taiwan. It sent more than 100 planes, including fighter jets and bombers, and over 10 warships. China's defense ministry said it scrambled jets to warn away 22 Chinese aircraft. The ministry said missiles fired by China flew high into the atmosphere and constituted no threat to Taiwan. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the drills is Anders Kaur, China expert and a principal at Core Analytics. Anders, great to see you as always. Now, you've been a China analyst for many, many years now. So I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on how China has responded to Pelosi's trip? To, uh, give us your take. Well, they're hitting this issue with a sledgehammer, which is tone deaf uh, politically, diplomatically. Um, they've alerted the whole world, the Democrats, 
because Pelosi is, of course, uh, Speaker of the House for the Democrats. Um, and people are noticing globally, I think, much more. The G7 statement by the foreign ministers um, was, I think, a big diplomatic blow to um, China. And it, it their, their sort of violent reaction in terms of this threatening surround of Taiwan with what looks to analysts and Taiwan itself like a blockade um, or practice for a blockade um, is also, you know, very bad, I think, for China in terms of its public image. Now, do you think China's response will deter the U.S. from doing this again or maybe at least make the U.S. hesitate in the future? I think it's just the opposite. I think Nancy Pelosi has become a global hero of sorts. She's an 82-year-old woman who flew on Air Force uh, on an Air Force plane all the way across the world. Um, she was advised against it by uh, President Biden and the Pentagon. Um, it, you know, she was threatened by Beijing. Now she's personally threatened by Beijing uh, by Foreign Minister Wang Yi, who says no good end for uh, politicians who uh, flout the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. And it was very clear that he was threatening Pelosi herself. Um, but she's become a, an international hero now. And other politicians will see that, I think, globally. Other leaders, global leaders, will see that uh, and also want to visit Taiwan. Now, we've seen that with many, many visits to Zelensky uh, in Ukraine. It really, you know, politicians want that aura of, of heroism to rub off on themselves for their own constituents and their own voters. And I think we'll see more of it in the future. Yeah, well, you know, some people consider China's criticism a badge of honor. But anyways, let's talk about one specific thing that China's doing. So it's conducting unprecedented live fire drills near Taiwan, right? So tell us what message is this action trying to send? Uh, well, they're trying to uh, warn other countries of uh, impending violence or war uh, if they continue to support Taiwan. But what really is happening is uh, China is just looking more and more like North Korea. Um, it's looking more and more like a pariah state, like its allies, Russia and Iran and Syria, uh, Cuba, countries that have been, um, you know, essentially excluded from the international economy. So what Xi Jinping is really doing is a, a huge danger to China, its economy, its people. And he seems to be totally unaware or, you know, even ignorant of uh, the long-range second and third order effects of his actions. But do you think this is a smart move? Because when it comes to kinetic war, whose military is stronger, the U.S. or China? Well, I think currently China's in a uh, not a positive position. It's got to go all the way, you know, across all of that water. Um, people are saying that it doesn't have the capability currently to successfully invade uh, Taiwan. I think that the hubris of Putin is really uh, in people's minds when they think about uh, whether or not Xi Jinping could actually pull off a successful invasion of, of Taiwan. And I think what you would see is you would see a massive international support for Taiwan. There would be a lot of arms sales to Taiwan. Um, people in Taiwan are training militarily for an invasion, even regular citizens. I just don't see uh, China being able to successfully invade Taiwan for a couple of years at least. 
All right. Anders Kaur, China Analyst, Principal at Core Analytics. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Wall Street's main indexes ended mixed today. The Dow lost 86 points, or one quarter of a percent. The S&P dropped just three points, or less than one-tenth of a percent. But the Nasdaq added 52 points, or four-tenths of a percent. At the loss of billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor is stepping down into a lesser role. Entity's Sean Marshall has the details. If you've been following the Bitcoin influencer community, then you've most likely come across Michael Saylor at some point. The CEO, or soon-to-be former CEO, will be stepping down August 8th to a chairman role at business intelligence company MicroStrategy. Saylor has been one of the most popular bullish advocates for Bitcoin in the cryptocurrency world, pushing MicroStrategy to become the biggest corporate holder of Bitcoin, with $2.9 billion worth in its possession. Their stock value shot up with their adoption of heavy Bitcoin buying and fell as Bitcoin's value fell. According to Bloomberg, MicroStrategy has borrowed money to buy volatile cryptocurrency and lost about $2 billion in the process. MicroStrategy's latest $1 billion quarterly loss, equivalent to about two years of revenue, was due almost entirely to a slump in the value of its Bitcoin stash. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Travelers are returning to the skies in droves following a pandemic pause. And airlines and airports across the world are struggling to meet demand. So are recession fears and soaring inflation impacting that travel boom as consumers weigh airfare, hotel and gas prices? Here's why the travel industry appears to be thriving amid a possible economic downturn. As the peak summer travel season winds down, travel experts say Americans are still spending money on their vacations, despite historic inflation and recession fears. While consumers are starting to pull back uh, on some discretionary spending, some things they don't have to spend money on, it's not holding true for travel. Several travel industry leaders say demand is still high. Scott Kays, founder of the flight aggregator website Scott's Cheap Flights, points to several factors, including a rise in credit card travel spending. American Express uh, noted that travel spending was up uh, nearly 150 percent in the, uh, the previous quarter. That's despite fears of an economic downturn on the horizon. Experts blame that on so-called revenge travel, the huge travel boom following years of lost vacations during a pandemic slump. Meanwhile, Airbnb says reservations are soaring. On Tuesday, the company announced a 24% increase in bookings in the three months that ended in June, compared to the same time period in 2019. And when it comes to hitting the road, gas prices are declining. On Wednesday, the U.S. national average price of a gallon of regular gas was $4.16, according to AAA. Compared to a month ago, that was $4.81. And experts say cheaper prices are ahead. While motorists may be incentivized by prices that have been falling, more decreases lie ahead. On Wednesday, OPEC, the world's oil exporting countries and its allies, agreed to a tiny increase in production next month amid fears that a global recession will hurt demand. Still to come, the Bank of England hiked interest rates by the largest amount in more than 27 years, an effort to tame inflation. One phone store owner stole millions of dollars from customers. He even bought a luxury watch and a nice car with the money. 
how did he do it? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. The Bank of England just raised rates by the most in 27 years. It raised the benchmark rate by half a percentage point to 1.75%. That's its highest level since 2008. BOE Governor Andrew Bailey said policymakers were left with little choice. Returning inflation to the 2% target remains our absolute priority. There are no ifs or buts about that. The committee judged that a more forceful policy action was justified at this meeting, as there have been some indications that inflationary pressures are becoming more persistent and broadening to more domestically driven sectors. The increase comes even as the bank warns of a looming recession. The BOE predicts the economy will shrink by just over 2%. It expects the contraction to start later this year and run right through 2023. Despite the gloomy outlook, the bank is widely expected to raise rates again. Markets have priced in another quarter-point hike for the next policy meeting in September. Consumer price inflation is now forecast to peak above 13 percent in October, mostly due to surging energy prices as a result of the Ukraine conflict. That would leave households facing two years of falling disposable income, the biggest such squeeze since records began in 1964. Over in the Middle East, Lebanon's inflation has topped 200 percent. The country is three years into a financial meltdown. An entrepreneur has started a new online business, selling bouquets made out of cash. And today's Andrew Thomas has the details. Tamara Hariri said she started the concept to offer an alternative for highly priced flowers in the cash-strapped country. Hariri has made about 50 bouquets a month, usually around two a day. A small bouquet can take between 30 minutes and an hour to complete. I believe helping each other is very important in Lebanon. Maybe that's where the idea came from, to help each other, start having gifts, money that can help people, maybe students, university students, employees. I am certain that this will spread all over Lebanon in a way that people might even take this idea and open their own thing. Hariri said their prices depend on the size of the bouquet and the amount of cash used in it, but they usually make between a $4 and $10 profit. People may sometimes feel hurt when accepting money. They don't like it. But when it is presented in this beautiful way, they will like it. So now you can help any person in this way and they will definitely accept it because it is presented in a very nice way. Lebanon has been rocked by what the World Bank has described as one of the worst economic crises recorded. The meltdown has marked Lebanon's most destabilizing crisis since the country's civil war. The Lebanese pound has lost more than 90 percent of its value and about three quarters of the population live in poverty. Andrew. A cell phone hacking scheme got a former T-Mobile store owner enough money to buy properties in California, 
a $32,000 watch, and a Land Rover. But now he could get something else, a prison sentence. Argeshti Kudavardayan owned a store in Los Angeles. Officials say he stole $25 million over the course of five years by hacking into hundreds of thousands of cell phones, unlocking them so they could be sold on the black market. He also made it so T-Mobile customers could stop using the carrier, meaning T-Mobile lost a lot of money. The 44-year-old will be sentenced in October, and he could get at least two years in prison for aggravated identity theft. And get this, up to 165 years for the counts related to wire fraud, money laundering, and accessing a computer without authorization. Some food mashups just make sense. A croissant and a donut called a cronut. Pizza and tacos think Taco Bell's Mexican pizza. But does this food mashup make sense? Donuts and mustard. Sounds a little crazy, but this Saturday, it will make sense. Because August 6th is National Mustard Day. So mustard maker French's teamed up with Brooklyn-based Dough Donuts to celebrate the popular condiment's big day. It's a brioche donut with a sweet and savory yellow mustard coating, topped with a yellow mustard cake crumble. The tangy treats will be available at New York donut chain stores and their website until they sell out. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can follow me on Twitter. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at NTD, I mean business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching and we'll see you tomorrow.